It's good to be in the presence of fellow disciples. And it's great to be in a meeting where you stand up to speak and the Lord has delivered nearly all of your message. Nearly. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, please. As T mentioned already, the Lord is speaking to us about discipleship. Who is speaking to us about being disciples? Makes a big difference, doesn't it? When you know that God is speaking to you about something. God is speaking to this church about being disciples. And because I'm a member of this church, as well as being a disciple of Jesus, because one follows the other, it has something to do with my life, therefore. And the Lord is going to speak to us this morning about an aspect, only one aspect, because there's much for us to say, much for him to say, but he's going to speak to us this morning about an aspect of what it means to be a community of disciples, a family of disciples. I travel a lot by train, and uh, my friend Toby at the back uh, saw me on the train the other day, told me off for not waving to him. Because I, was, I wasn't concentrating on where I was going. I was just sitting on the train, not looking around me, just focusing on where I was headed. And many of the people I travel with on trains are just the same. You get on, you know you've got a destination. If you can, it, it, it's a miracle, it's the provision of the Lord if you can find a double seat all for yourself. Those of you who travel by public transport know the miracle of finding a seat for yourself. But you sit down and you know, I'm headed to this station. I'm getting off in three or four stops time. I'll occupy my time while I'm traveling. I might look at my phone. I might watch something on my iPad. I might read a paper. If I've got room to move my body, I could even turn the pages of a book. Although having room to move on a train is very rare if you're traveling Cardiff. And really, we're just individuals all traveling along the same route. Some of us, many of us are heading to the same destination. But none of us have very much in common. Sometimes you might strike up a conversation with someone along the way. But by and large, if anyone talks to you while you're traveling, you feel like they're interrupting your journey. This week I had to travel down to the south of England. And I booked myself a ticket on the quiet carriage. Bought myself a new book to read and thought, great, I can have two hours uninterrupted traveling. No one's going to interrupt me. No one's going to talk to me. There'll be no mobile phones going off because it's the quiet carriage. No one will be playing any games on their phones because it's the quiet carriage. But it seemed that I was the only person in the quiet carriage who knew that it was the quiet carriage. (laughs) So a couple uh, with their child had decided to sit across from me and they had their phones. They were playing games. They were listening to music. I thought, didn't anyone tell them that this is the quiet carriage? A lady had got on the the train and she'd obviously had a... A difficult morning with her boyfriend because she was letting the whole train know about it. <laughs> she was on the phone to him. She was threatening him. <laughs> By the sounds of things, she was, he was threatening her. But they were shouting at one another over the phone. She was effing and blinding, threatening to get off the train, which was an I- irony because the train was moving. Um, <laughs> but clearly these people didn't know that I had booked myself a ticket on the quiet carriage and I didn't want to be disturbed. Well... I had to learn, it's not all about me, is it? Now, the Christian life is not meant to be like that. The Christian life is not a journey that we've all got on individually. That we're all heading in the same direction, because we're all going the same direction. But really, we're just going to sit, we're going to have our own interaction with the conductor, 
with the one in charge of our journey, but we're not going to talk to any of our fellow passengers. We're not going to give up our seat in case someone wants to sit down. No, this is my space. This is my life. This is my journey. And I don't want anyone to interrupt me. If that's what you think the Christian life is, I'd like to, I'd like to introduce you to the Christian life today. You see, we are going on a journey. The Bible doesn't talk about journeys. The Bible talks about pilgrimage. And we are pilgrims. We are headed somewhere. We're going somewhere with a purpose. And we have all been called individually by God. You, me, the person sitting next to you, every one of us has an individual call from God. But we have been called into a community. We've been called into a family. We've been called into a corporate purpose. And so God wants us to enjoy the journey, enjoy the pilgrimage together. And we'll find that it's not necessarily a journey through idle countryside with people just coming by offering us overpriced drinks every half an hour. But rather, I can, those of you who laugh travel by the public transport, I can tell. Um, but rather we understand that on this journey we have work to do. We have work to do together. So if you're on the journey with me, if you're on the pilgrimage with me, you and I are going to learn to work together. Do you understand? And this is why we must hold ourselves and hold one another in very high regard as disciples. Because Jesus held his disciples in very high regard. You know, lots of preachers like to tell the stories about the failures that the disciples made. And, you know, silly Peter always opening his mouth and making these mistakes and not always learning as as they should have. But Jesus held his disciples in high regard. First of all, he believed that these 12 men and the other people he discipled, because he had more than 12 disciples, if you read the Gospels closely, all his disciples, he was training them to take over the world. He knew that if he trained them properly, equipped them as he should, sent the Holy Spirit on the 120th Pentecost, he knew that they would be the people to turn the world upside down. He held his disciples in very high regard. And he holds you today in very high regard. When he invited you, when he called you to follow him, he wasn't asking you to be an affiliate to his ministry. My children's favorite film at the moment is Despicable Me. Has anyone seen the film Despicable Me? Yeah, with... Uh, with, with Gru, the, the, the evil henchman, trying to, trying to go straight. And he's got these hundreds of thousands of little minions, hasn't he? Yeah. These little yellow identikit people who serve his bidding. You know, you're not one of Jesus' minions. You're not following along after him at a distance, obeying his every whim with no relationship with him whatsoever. In fact, Jesus called his disciples his family. And that's what I want to explain to you today. So we're in Matthew 12. We're going to read from verse 46. Verse 46. Jesus was still speaking to the crowds when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But he replied to the one who told him, who is my brother and who, are my, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Wow. Jesus said, this is my real family. I, had an, I have a natural family, Jesus says, and I acknowledge them and love them. And he never disregards 
his earthly family. He makes provision even as he's dying on the cross for the safety and security of his mother. But Jesus never let his natural family interrupt his mi- the mission from the Father. Jesus never let his natural family interrupt his mission from the Father. And so he says, I want to show you what's happened. I've brought these men, these disciples, to follow me. But these aren't just merely Jesus and the disciples. They're not my backing group. They're not here just to carry my bags. They are my family. And he says the same of us today. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not following him from afar. You're not, you're not even following him alongside anymore because he now lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to understand that you are a member of his family. So we're going to talk about some very simple things that the Bible says about what it means for us to be a family of disciples this morning. And the first thing we find here in Matthew chapter 12, a family of disciples are concerned with doing the Father's will. Jesus says, pointing at his disciples, my brother and my mother and my sisters are those who do the will of my Father. Do you notice that? It's not that they followed me, they've given up all these things. No, we have a shared concern. We have a shared desire to do the will of our Father. You see, the first hallmark of our life together as a family of disciples is not our relationships with one another, but our shared relationship with God. Everything for us begins with God. Amen? And we... We have a concern, don't we, with doing the will of our Father. That was not a rhetorical question. We have a concern, don't we, with doing the will of our Father. If you think somehow that discipleship basically means that you get more attention from certain people in the body, let's, let's, let's knock that right now. Jesus is discipling you and conforming you more into his likeness and image because he has a purpose for you to fulfill. It's a purposeful life. Discipleship is a purpose-driven life. And you know, the Lord spoke to us this morning about something of his will. Did you notice that? Jez came and prophesied and the Lord spoke to us and he said this, My desire is that all men would know me. It's the first thing Jez prophesied, first thing the Lord said to us. My desire is that all men would know me. Now, if you're a disciple, if you're living in relationship with God and with his people, And you know that being a disciple means being part of the family and being surrendered and given to furthering God's will. When you hear the Lord speak about one of his desires, everything stops and everything changes. The Lord has said there's something he wants. If the Lord said, my desire is that every one of you bring me lemon sorbet every Sunday, that's what we would do. Because we live to please the Father's will, don't we? If the Lord said, what I want you all to do is sell your cars and travel around Cardiff on push bikes, that's what we would do. We would, because his will is more important than our comfort. So if the Lord sovereignly speaks to us and says, my desire is that I want all men to know me, then everything else changes for me. Because now I look at my life and think, Lord, I have to do whatever it takes to make sure that all men know you. Do you understand what it means to be a disciple living for his will? It means that no longer can I rule myself out. Well, that's fine for the evangelistic people among us. They can make him known. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm a disciple. I'm a member of a family of disciples. And we have given ourselves wholeheartedly to the will of our Father. Whatever he wants, we want to make it happen. 
That's why we pray daily, don't we? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not because we're expecting someone else to do the will for us, but because we ourselves are making ourselves available in whatever world we live in to do his will. A disciple is one concerned with the Father's will. A family of disciples are concerned with doing the Father's will. Are you concerned with the will of God? I want my life to count for his will. His will is the best. This is why Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. For living for his will, living for his purpose, seeking first his kingdom will always be the best option on the table. Let me give you an example. Recently, my wife and I sold our house. Sold our house very quickly uh, because the Lord had spoken to us about moving from where we were outside of the city and coming to live in the city of Cardiff. We believed that's what the Lord wanted us to do, so we did it. And as we were preparing then to move, uh, we couldn't find anywhere to live straight away, and my parents kindly invited us to come and live with them, which they've not regretted. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'd remember when we were being taught by Roger about the Holy Spirit being our inner discipler. Dave Shutt came forward at the end and shared with us from Luke, I believe it was. And if you have left such and such and such, or houses for the kingdom of God, you'll receive more in this life. So my wife and I said, we've sold our house for the kingdom of God. The Lord is going to provide us a house. Do you understand how it works? Take him in his word. So... We began to plan, we were looking, we were searching, and we, we decided there were certain things we needed in a house. There are always things you need, aren't there? Bathrooms, bedrooms, those kind of things. Maybe a kitchen. There were things we needed, so we committed that to the Lord. And as we were talking, and mostly my wife, started to talk about things that we wanted in a house. Things that might not be important to you, I won't go into the details, but things that were important to us. So we said, fine, well, we'll commit those to the Lord. But the priority for us is we're going to find a house where the Lord wants us to live for his purpose and his will. And we lots, looked at lots of houses, put offers on six or seven different houses, couldn't get one, no matter how hard we tried. We went back to the Lord and said, Lord, we're moving because you've told us to, and we trust you. But we want to do your will. Well, two weeks ago, my wife found a house that she liked. And being a sensible, wise man, I liked it too. <laughs> And so we bought it. The Lord provided miraculously some finance we needed. The Lord provided everything in his right timing. And he provided everything we needed. And then I was reviewing what we'd done and just looking over a couple of things. And I suddenly realized that every single thing that we'd asked him for, all the little details that we'd said, well, it would be great if we could have these, every single one of them he'd provided. It's a very small testimony, I know. But I want to help you understand this morning that if you seek first the kingdom, if you put his will first, then all things will be added to you. You'll never be disappointed by seeking the Father's will. So for us here this morning, as we practically do our best to make sure that everyone knows the the Lord, we will not be disappointed in our pursuit of him. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. You see, the first thing we understand is that a family of disciples are concerned with doing the will of the Father. It's all about the Father's will. It's all about extending his kingdom. All about bringing his rule and reign to to bear on this earth. Isn't it great that we have a purpose to live for? 
But we'll read the same story in Mark's gospel, and it brings out something else for us to understand about being a family of disciples. So Mark 3, verse 31, his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and said, look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother. And here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. Mark describes the disciples as those who were sitting around Jesus. Who were sitting in a circle around Jesus. Why? Because a family of disciples are centered on Christ. The disciples were a community centered around Jesus. And that's what we're like. The disciples were not the focus. We must understand this. In discipleship, you are not the focus. It's a strange thing. It's not a mentoring system. It's not that a chief executive has taken hold of you so that he can then train you and impart into you. No. Christ has taken hold of you to produce himself in you for his purposes. You're important. You're valued. You're loved. But you're not the center. This came out this morning because this image reminds me And I'm so glad we read it this morning. Of the throne in heaven. With all of creation around the throne. You see the family of disciples are centered around Jesus. Because all of history and all of creation is centered around the throne of God. When you realize that Jesus is at the center of all things. Life suddenly makes perfect sense. You understand that life has a purpose. You can get up in the morning with a spring in your step, knowing whatever you do and wherever you go, you're living for the glory of Jesus Christ. It also helps us understand that when people stopped following Jesus, it meant that they stopped following the disciples. And I would challenge you this morning, who are your friends? Are you walking with people who aren't following Jesus? It'll do you damage. My daughter and I are reading a story at the moment. It's uh, about a girl who lives up in an island in Scotland called Katie Morag. Katie Morag, um, in this story, uh, has a new baby brother, little baby. Katie Morag gets upset because she said, well, I'm not going to be the center of attention anymore. No one's going to buy me presents anymore. No one gives me any affection because there's a new baby. And so Katie Morag kicks up a fuss. She causes problems in the home and she has to go and stay with granny across the road for a little bit until she grows up. So she learns her lesson because she realizes that it's not about her. And the baby itself will have to learn as it grows up that it's not about her, not about him. You see, when you came to Christ, when you were a little baby Christian, you may well have found that you were the center of the attention. People were helping you, talking with you, praying with you, teaching you to read the scriptures making an effort to bring you along to meetings, and then suddenly you get to a point where they want to help you stand on your own two feet and you don't get the attention anymore. And you can be offended, and you can be upset, and you can think, but what about me? And so you can create a crisis or a problem in your life so that you get the attention again. That's not maturity. You see, everyone growing up in Christ comes to this point in life where they realize it's really not about me. I came to know Jesus. I came to follow him. I, 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 I was getting all this help and all this attention from people around me. But, but now they're telling me that I can do that for other people. 
but I don't feel big or strong enough. No, the one who's living in you by his spirit can enable you to do that. Can I encourage you and challenge you this morning? Make sure that you in your life and helping one another around here, let's keep ourselves centered on Jesus Christ. Don't let conversations descend into pity parties, but rather keep people centered on Jesus Christ. After all, he, as Deborah read to us this morning, is worthy of all praise, honor, glory, and blessing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, please. You see, a family of disciples are concerned with doing the Father's will. They're centered on Jesus Christ. And we'll see something else here in Luke chapter 8. In Luke 8 verse 19, it says, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. You see, a family of disciples are committed to the word. Committed to the word. Now, God's word is his will. If you want to know what his will is, get into his word. If you want to know what his plans are, get into his word. If you want to know what he wants you to pray, pray his word. If you want, if you want to know what he wants you to say, confess his word. Because his word is his will. It's his authority expressed. It's his covenant promise to you and to me. And so a family of disciples are those who live by hearing and doing the word of God. Not just those of us who really love the Bible. Not just some of us. Not just that one person in your life group who knows all the scripture references and can help you out when none of you can remember the verses. No, all of us live by hearing and doing the word of God. That's why this week I'm confident that all of us, because we heard the word of God this morning, are going to do everything we can to make God known. Because we live by hearing and doing the word of God. You see, the Lord has been speaking to us a great deal this year about hearing and doing his word. First thing he said to us prophetically this year was to cultivate the listening ear. He's been speaking to us about listening. T and Tim have both ministered to us in recent weeks about the importance of our words and how faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we hear and confess and do the word of God, we can only succeed Roger has taught us that the Holy Spirit, who is our inner disciple, disciples us through the word of God. We will never, ever escape the simplicity of hearing and doing his word. But a family of disciples are committed to hearing not only what God is saying to them individually, but also to what he is saying to them as a community. Do you understand that? There are things that God is saying to me, to me. There are things about discipleship he's teaching me because I need to grow in them and I need to change in them. But the Lord is saying things to us as a community and therefore they must take a priority in my life. If the Lord is saying to us week after week that we must hear him, we must listen to him, then that applies to me. Therefore, practically speaking, meeting with the saints of God is a priority for me because I'm a member of the family. Do you understand? I come here on a Sunday, I I enjoy gathering with the saints in all different kinds of expressions because I'm expecting to meet God and hear God and live out what he's told us to do when we met together. Meeting together with God's people is not an option for a disciple. 
Meeting with God's people is not an option for a disciple. If you don't agree with that, come and see me afterwards. I'm expecting there to be no one. We've got to break it down into practicalities. If we're talking about being disciples, if we're talking about being a community of disciples, you can't be a community and never see each other. Let me give you an example of how that works. On the first Sunday of the year, Lydia Power brought us a prophetic word. Um, and I make a great effort to keep record of what God is saying to us, by the way, when we meet together. Don't just write down notes from sermons, but make a note of what God is saying to us prophetically when we meet. But she brought us a, a prophetic word from Philippians chapter 4, that in everything this year we should learn to rejoice in the Lord always and take delight in him whatever happens. So these last couple of weeks, uh, my wife and kids have had a fever. And last week I caught it off them. And I spent the whole of Easter weekend in bed, not feeling very well. Uh, slightly tempted to feel sorry for myself. But I didn't because the word came to me. I remembered what God had said to us as a community. James, you have to remember, in everything, rejoice in the Lord. So I had to apply that word that God had spoken to us corporately to me as an individual. And lying on my bed, feeling sorry for myself. No, I thought, no, Lord, even in this, you're a good God. I take delight in you. I thank you this weekend. We're celebrating the fact that you're alive, that God raised you from the dead. All I, all I was doing was working the word that God had brought to us. I would encourage you to do the same. Take hold of what God is saying to us and work it out for yourself. Let me show you something in Isaiah chapter 50. I've been stirred by this this week. Isaiah 50. See, we talk a lot in this church about the power of confession, the importance of speaking right words. We have to understand that you can only speak right words if you hear right words. Because there's only one way that faith comes. By hearing what? Yes, faith does not come by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. If you want to hear, you need to hear God's word. We've been ministered to excellently on that. Not only this year, but many years in the past. But this is what the, the, the Lord says in Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. How does he do that? He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. You know, when I read that scripture this week, I thought of what Tim shared with us earlier on this year. About the importance of finding solitude with Christ. The importance of taking time to read his word. And in reading his word, to be fed by his word. In other words, when we read the word, we're being fed by the spoken, living word. And as I listen, not only to the voice of the word, but the voice of the spirit within me, I am given words that I can say to people that will sustain them. To encourage them. That as Paul describes in Ephesians 4, gives grace to those who hear. You will not be able to speak rightly if you're not hearing rightly. But hearing the Lord is not difficult, for he lives within you. So those three things come up to us. That a family of disciples are concerned with the Father's will. They're centered on Christ. They have a commitment to the word of God. But we can't ignore that... Um, 
the repercussions for us one to another. You see, all those things are really to do with us together and God. We're concerned with the Father. We're concerned with the Word. We're concerned with Christ. But the Bible never lets us escape the fact that our relationship with God has to be worked out by how we relate to one another. So turn with me to John 13. I know this is simple this morning. I know this is things you've heard before. But I know, I know, if we live it, it'll work. John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By the fact that you attend lots of meetings. By this, people will know that you are my my disciples, that you perform lots of good works. Uh, Okay. Let me find another translation. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm learning in life. I am never ever going to be able to get away from the importance of loving my brothers. (laughs) I'm never going to get beyond it. I'm never going to graduate from the importance of loving others. You see, a family of disciples is filled, fourthly, with covenant love. Covenant love. Covenant means I have relinquished my right to quit. This is what one man said about love in the New Testament. I read this recently. Love is the spirit which says, no matter what any man does to me, I will never seek to do him harm. I will never set out for revenge. I will always seek nothing but his highest good. Christian love is invincible good will. It's not simply a wave of emotion. It is a deliberate conviction of mind issuing in a deliberate policy of life. Christian love is not a deliberate, it's not an emotion. It's a deliberate conviction of mind issuing in a deliberate policy of life. I have chosen to love, therefore I will live a life of love. 1 John chapter 3, by the way, tells us that the evidence of life among us is that we love one another. We can talk as much as we want to about the life of God among us, wanting to see his life. There will be no life without love. 1 John 3. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 as we finish. I know what I've said to you is very simple. But I promise you, if you put it into practice, if we put it into practice, it'll work. That's all I'm concerned with. In these days, I want something that works. I want people to come to this church and say, wow, what you do works. What do you do? I want people to see something and then we explain it to them. Not us, having, not having, not us teaching lots of things and then saying, well, where's the evidence of it? Matthew 28. I'll read this then. I'm just going to give you a couple of things that you can do this week to live out the life as a family of disciples. After the Sabbath, verse 1 As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear that they became like dead men. 
as the angel sat, said, and the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here, for he has been resurrected, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, good morning. Did Jesus say that to anyone this morning? Yeah, yeah. Because every morning's a good morning with Jesus. The women came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Go down to verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you see that Jesus called his disciples his brothers? The angel said, go and tell the disciples. But when Jesus speaks to them, he says, go and tell my brothers. He does the same in John 20. Go and tell my brothers. And the commission that he gives to them to go into all the world is a, is a family commission. If you want to know what the family business here is this, we're making disciples. That's the family business. Why? Because our father gave it to our elder brother and he gave it to us. Yep. Do you see how important and valuable you are in the kingdom of God? Your elder brother Jesus has given you a commission with everyone else to make disciples. Yes. You see, when you make a disciple, you gain a brother. Yes. Do you understand that? When you make a disciple, you don't gain a disciple. When you make a disciple, you gain a brother. Amen. I want Jesus to have many brothers because that's what the father promised him. I want to have many brothers, so therefore I want to make many disciples. Amen. It means this. It means relationship. Yeah. It means closeness. It means walking together. It means sharing of life. Because brothers are those who are to dwell together in unity. Now, what does that mean for us? So what? Who cares? Well, let me give you some things that you can do this week that will help you and help us live a life of family. The first thing is this. These aren't particularly profound, but they're important. The first one is this. Live with a great sense of destiny. I have not been able to get away from that all week. The Lord wants you and me to live with a great sense of destiny. After all, we've been called by God as his disciples to further the Father's will. Do you understand that? It's not simply that you're here to make up the numbers. or we're in, like, like Tim said this morning, you're not here just to give us your money. We are here. To fulfill the purpose of God in our day and generation. Not just those of us who feel like doing it. All of us. So if nothing else, get out of bed tomorrow morning knowing this. I have a great sense of destiny. Wherever I am or whatever I'm doing, whether it's teaching, studying, working, looking after the children, traveling, going here, there, everywhere, whatever I'm doing, I have a great sense of destiny. I have a purpose with which to live. And for as long as you live, live with a great sense of destiny. Don't let any of your brothers and sisters in this family live with anything less than a great sense of destiny. Look them in the eye and tell them, you have a great sense of destiny. You have a great purpose. You have a plan that God has ordained before the foundations of the world for you to fulfill. Oh, if Christians would only live with a sense of destiny. 
Next thing is this. Accept that you belong to a family. I had to go somewhere else recently to do some teaching on what it meant to belong. And the more I studied belonging, the more I realized that it was something that you had to accept. You don't belong in a family because you feel like it. You don't belong to the body because you think you do. You belong because you belong. You belong because God has placed you somewhere. My hand belongs to my body, not because my hand wants to, but because it does. Do you understand? So just accept the fact that you belong to a family and therefore embrace family life. Embrace corporate life. Embrace friendship. Embrace covenant. Embrace relationship. Forgo isolationism. Reject loneliness. Be a family man. Be a family woman. Accept the fact that you belong to a family. And hey, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone because you belong to my family. Can't get rid of me. We have to, we have to think about that. You know, when you think about it, we are going to spend eternity together. So you might as well like me now. Fourth thing is this. Make family life a priority. Make family life a priority. You'll have to work that one out yourself. But when the family gathers, I'm there. Do you understand? At home, I don't eat my meals separately from my wife and kids. That's a bit strange. I think if I did that and the elders came around, they'd want to talk to me. Why are you eating your food elsewhere from the rest of the family? You know what you're fed by your leaders? is the most important meal you get spiritually. Otherwise, you might as well go and be in the church where you like being fed. Do you understand? When I sit here on a Sunday to be fed by our elders, by our leaders, I think this is the most important spiritual meal of the week. So make family life a priority. Here's the fourth one, the final one. Let the Lord disciple you through any brother. Discipleship in the family is not a pyramid system. It's not that the Lord disciples the ministries and the ministries disciple the elders and the elders disciple the deacons and the deacons disciple the rest of us. It's not a, it's not a pyramid system. It's, an, it's a system where everyone relates to one another. I am learning more and more in my life that I can be taught and discipled by any believer. I was talking to some friends recently. Who disciples you? Well, they tend to give me one name or two. I said, well, who do you learn from? After all, being a disciple is being a learner. They said, oh, that's easy. I learn from lots of people. I said, well, there you go. You can learn from any believer. I'm learning a lot. I'm being discipled by a great man of God at the moment. He's two years old. He's my son. And I'm having to learn in my own life a greater perseverance and persistence. It's one of the things the Lord is dealing with me on. And he sent this little boy into my life. I see him every day. And he is the most persistent and persevering person I know. Sometimes to my irritation, but most times to my amazement. And so there was something happened yesterday, in fact. Uh, I broke something. I thought, I won't bother fixing it. And then I thought, what would Ezra do? He'd fix it, wouldn't he? Yeah, he wouldn't give up. So I fixed it. Thinking, well, James, that's silly. No, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to teach me through anyone. Anyway, I'm going to stop there. Because the Lord has great things for you for the rest of the day great things for us to do in his kingdom and we are a family of disciples together thank you for your time god bless you amen